Well, good morning again. Welcome to the Christian Church of Estes Park. I'm glad you're here today. We are in our series, Cousin John, as we've been exploring for the past three weeks and now for the life of John the Baptist. Uh, and so uh, before we get into anything else, we do have to go over our anchor verse, uh, what is important to this series, and really the message that it has been weaved into every message, and really the message that was weaved into the life of John the Baptist, which was this, John 3.30, he must become greater and I must become less. And so uh, this morning we are going to be in the Gospel of Luke, uh, but before we do that, let's have a moment of prayer and ask for God's blessing on our time in his word. Father, I pray that you would help us to be still. Lord, remind us even in this moment of quiet that you have called us to be still and to know that you are God. That it is those who wait upon you it is their strength that will be renewed to them by your spirit and by your power. So Lord, this morning, we don't want to go anywhere that you're not taking us. Anywhere where you're not leading us this morning, we just, we don't want to be there, God. We want to be where you are. So Lord, as we read your word Help us to allow your word to read us so that we could see ourselves rightly, the state of our own hearts, our souls, our relationship with you. Lord, help us to see with sober eyes and a sober mind the word that you have for us today. And Lord, we pray that the cry of our hearts would be that you must become greater and we must become much, much, much less so that people can see you. And Lord, help us to keep that mindset as it is clearly not easy to keep. It is easy to keep when things are going well and when we don't face opposition or difficulty, but when things get tough and we question what you're actually doing, Lord, help us to still cry out that verse that you must become greater and we must become less. Be with us this morning as we open your word. Teach us, instruct us, convict us, and encourage us, God. These things we pray in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. When everything that's right feels wrong and all of my beliefs are gone and the darkness in my heart is so strong can you reach me here in the silence would you turn your bibles with me to the gospel of luke chapter 7 in, in a passage that really is quite a turn of events in the life of john the baptist and really one that people read and if you've studied the life of john the baptist you get to this part and you're just kind of like huh, this seems like a different person. This doesn't seem like John the Baptist. So would you read with me the word of God? Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 18. 
The disciples of John reported all these things to him. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour, he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. And he answered them, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. And when John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. And he asked, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those are, who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. So what then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes. And I tell you, more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And when all the people heard this, and tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John, but the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. Church, this is God's word. When everything that's right feels wrong and all of my belief is gone and the darkness in my heart is so strong, can you reach me here in the silence? Singing these broken songs, looking for the light for so long, but the pain just goes on and on and on. Can you reach me here in the silence? Jesus, has the world gone mad? Jesus, what a week we've had. Jesus, it feels like my world is in pieces. And I know you got your reasons, but I've got my doubts, Jesus. I've got my doubts. We meet John here in Luke chapter 7 as he has been in prison for some time. John has completed his ministry. He was the forerunner. He proclaimed that Jesus was coming, announced that he was here, baptized Jesus, and then his platform got smaller and smaller and smaller. But his message never changed. It remained, repent, for the kingdom of God is near. And so John is thrown in prison for righteousness' sake. His ministry is over. His life is near its end. It is in his dark, cold, wet cell that he receives some incredible news. If you read back in uh, Luke chapter 7 to the very beginning of the chapter, we see two incredible things happen. The first is that Jesus heals the servant of a centurion. In fact, he heals them in an incredible way. Because when we pray for healing, we 
We, we pray from afar, but really the real power is when we gather in the room as the church of God and we lay hands on our brothers and sisters who are suffering and we pray for them. But the centurion meets Jesus on the road and he says, Lord, you don't even have to come into my house. I know that if you would just say the word, he would be healed. And Jesus marvels at his faith and his servant is healed that very hour. And the second thing that happens that is miraculous is that Jesus raises a young boy from death to life. Man, they're having a funeral and Jesus interrupts it. Man, if that's not good news, I'm not sure what is. If Jesus was walking around Estes Park Hospital and he was just healing people and he stopped by the morgue and has a bunch of bodies leaving warm that were cold before, that's kind of an amazing thing. And it's in his, his dark, cold, wet prison cell in a Roman jail that John receives this incredible news that Jesus healed one person and he raised another one from death to life. And it sparks an interesting question from John. He says, Jesus, are you the one? Or should we look for somebody else? That's a weird question to ask on the heels of hearing about miraculous things happening, is it not? Jesus walked in here and started healing people of their diseases and the illnesses that they've suffered for a long time. I don't think we would have doubts. I don't think we would have questions about who is this guy. I, th I think we would be very self-assured about who Jesus is. This is a very strange question for John to be asking, and I want you to feel the tension here between John and Jesus. He's in his prison cell, and he sends messengers ahead of him and says, are you the one, Jesus? I mean, gosh, if anybody knew that Jesus was the Messiah, it was John the Baptist, wasn't it? Man, he danced in his mother's womb when he was in the presence of the unborn Jesus. He proclaimed as Jesus was walking down the road in John chapter 1, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. John was there and baptized Jesus and saw the heavens ripped apart and heard the voice of the Father say, This is my Son with whom I am well pleased. And he saw the Spirit of God descend on Jesus like a dove. Man, if anybody knew that Jesus was the Messiah, it was John. And yet we find him here in prison asking a question as he hears about a healing and a resurrection. Are you the one? What I think is happening here, and this is the tension I want you to feel this morning, is that John is getting this report of this mirac these miraculous signs and wonders that Jesus is doing. He's delivering people from their suffering, but not him. He's still in his prison. Everybody else is being healed. Everybody else is being delivered. Everybody else is being rescued, but not John. And so I want to suggest to you this morning that John's question really isn't, who are you? It's, what about me? John is experiencing the dark night of the soul, this, this crisis of faith where he is watching other people get delivered and for gosh sake, like he is the forerunner and Jesus is ignoring him, not delivering him, not rescuing him. 
healing some random servant and raising some random dead child, but not him? See, I think there's a difference between trusting who God is and trusting what he's doing. And this is the crisis that John experiences here. Most specifically in John's case, it was what Jesus was not doing that was causing him to question. So I would suggest to you this morning that uh, Luke chapter 7 isn't really a story of doubt, at least not in the classical sense of like, I doubt God exists or I doubt that Jesus is the Messiah. It's not that kind of doubt. Rather, this is a story of not understanding what Jesus is doing when you are suffering. So it, in other words, I, w- I would phrase it this way. This is not a story of doubt. This is a story of despair, of the dark night of the soul, of the darkest hour of your walk with Jesus because it seems like God has forgotten. Can you hear me in the silence? I know you've got your reasons, but Jesus, I've got my doubts. See, here's a reality that we all need to understand as we walk with Jesus is that no one, no one has a perfect, fortified, unwavering, unshakable faith, not even John the Baptist, and no, not even you. If John the Baptist had deep moments of deep despair, then so can you, and I would argue, so will you. You will experience the dark night of the soul, because despair doesn't discriminate. He comes for us all. See, despair, point number one, is a stranger to no one. It's a stranger to no one. And maybe you haven't felt that moment of despair yet, but you will. When it seems like Jesus is helping everybody except you. This is, this is the problem that John is experiencing. He's, he's looking out from the bars of his prison cell, hearing this miraculous report, Jesus is healing, he's delivering, he's saving, he's resurrecting. But what about me? God saved your friend's marriage, but not yours. And God healed your neighbor, but he didn't heal your family member. And the person in the church who had financial difficulties, God miraculously provided for them. But your checks keep bouncing. And you keep falling deeper into debt. And somebody in your life group had their prayer answered with a resounding yes. But God said no to yours. Man, that that can cause some despair because again, it can feel like God has forgotten. Does Jesus see me? Can he hear me as I wait in this darkness, in this prison cell? Man, this life is filled with highs and lows, mountains and valleys, the heights of happiness, and the prison cells of deep anguish. And there will be times where we are led to say, Jesus, you say you got your reasons, but man, I've got my doubts. I'm struggling with And the way Jesus answers him is, I don't know, it kind of feels (laughs) passive-aggressive. It's like, 
these miraculous signs and wonders are what is causing the despair in John's heart. So what does Jesus do more of? Miraculous signs and wonders. It it almost feels like they have like this back and forth going. Like John's question of are you the Messiah, it almost has this this tinge and this hue of, uh, hey, you're the Messiah, come get me. If you were really the Messiah, it's almost like peer pressure. It's like if you were really the Messiah, I wouldn't still be in prison. You would be overthrowing rulers and, and freeing the captives like the scriptures prophesy that you will. It reminded me of when I worked at a group home in Southern California. And one of my jobs was, uh, I, I worked with at-risk young men, uh, ages 12 to about 18 or 19, and then they would uh, go into regular life. And so a big part of my job was counseling these boys through their, their issues and their trauma. Uh, but another part of my job, which was not the fun part, was uh, giving consequences to them. So they worked on like a level system where depending on what level you were on, you had certain privileges. And man, so like if the kids fought or they cussed each other out, then, you know, we got to have a conversation and you get consequences. And I can't tell you how many times I heard, man, I thought you were a Christian. I thought you were a pa- if you were a pastor, you wouldn't be giving me these consequences. That, that's almost kind of like the way John's question feels to me. Like if you were the Messiah, you would help me. And Jesus responds with an incredible amount of graciousness to John. Now, it feels like on its face that Jesus is adding insult to injury here. It's like John is despairing because Jesus isn't helping him, that Jesus isn't coming. He's not on his way. And he does more miracles. Is this an insult? No. It is an answer to John's question with a display of power. And not only that, but with a fulfilling of scripture. John's question is, are you the guy? Should we look for somebody else? And Jesus almost directly quotes several passages in the book of Isaiah. And so let's take a look at what the Messiah looks like in the book of Isaiah. Let's see Isaiah 26, 19. Your dead shall live and their bodies shall rise. For you who dwell in dust, awake and sing for joy, for your dew is a dew of light and the earth will give birth to the dead. Isaiah 29, 18 through 19. In that day, the deaf shall hear the words of a book. And out of their gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind shall see. The meek shall obtain fresh joy, which I love that, in the Lord. And the poor among mankind shall exult in the Holy One of Israel. Isaiah 35, 5 through 6. The eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute shall sing for joy. In Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. I'm sure John was waiting for that part. But the Messiah in Isaiah is revealed to be this person who would come and deliver from disease and demons and even death. And what does Jesus tell uh, his disciples to relay to John as a message? Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised up. And the poor have good news preached to them. What is Jesus saying here? He says, I am who you believe that I am. 
doing what I am supposed to be doing. See, John had a wrong expectation of what Jesus ought to be doing. And many of us walk through life with that, with a wrong expectation of what Jesus ought to do for us. Because we see him doing things for other people. So we say, Jesus, do that for me too. But that may not be the will of God. See, the reality is that even though John is kind of pressing his expectations upon Jesus, Jesus will not submit to your expectations of him. Like he's not, he's not a puppy to be trained. Who you have an expectation of how he's supposed to act and you train him to do it and you encourage him, come on, Jesus, you can do it. It's not who he is. He is king. He is Lord. He is master. He is teacher. Jesus will not submit to your expectations of him. He is above them. And when he fails to meet your expectations, he is still Jesus. He has not changed. He is yet the Messiah. Even if your expectations go unmet by him. And I want you to notice what Jesus does. He doesn't say, I'm on my way. Because what we learn later on in the gospel is that that prison is exactly where John took his last breath. He never got rescued. He never got delivered. So Jesus doesn't comfort him and say, hey, everything's going to be all right. I'm, uh, you're going to be okay. Everything's going to turn around for good. No. Instead of a wide open prison door, he gives John himself. He says, I am who you believe that I am. I haven't changed. I am, yes, I am still the Messiah. Because the enemy of despair is the person of Jesus. It's not a change in your circumstances. And it's not even a comforting word from a friend. The enemy of your despair is not a situation change or a scenery change or deliverance. It is the person of Jesus. Yes, even you can have a supernatural joy in a dark, cold, wet prison cell where you feel forgotten by God. If you would just cling to the person of Jesus. Because the reality is that sometimes Jesus does not come. Right. What's his response? The blind see, the deaf hear, the mute speak, the lame walk, the dead are raised, the good news is being preached to the poor, but I'm not coming. I'm not on my way. Man, that's a hard Jesus to wrestle with. That's not the, that's not the version of Jesus we like. We like the version of Jesus that flings wide the prison doors that delivers every person from their sorrow and their trouble, that heals every person, that gives every person prosperity and the house that they've always wanted. But the reality is that so many of our brothers and sisters have died for righteousness in prisons just like John's, and Jesus never came to rescue them. That, that is a difficult picture of Jesus to wrestle with. I like the Jesus that arrives. But the Jesus that says, John, I love you, buddy. 
I am who you think I am, but I'm not coming. You know, sometimes it is the will of God that you and I would suffer hardship or grieve loss and endure affliction. Sometimes our circumstances will not change. I mean, like I said, thousands of our brothers and sisters in Christ since the beginning of the church have been slaughtered because of their faith. And Jesus did not dull the swords that beheaded them or jam the pistols that were pointed at their head or, or wet the wood at the stakes that they were burned at. You don't think those people cried out to God for saving? You don't think they wanted to be saved? Do you think anybody wants to die by an execution like that? No, but story after story recounts Christians who had their eyes fixed upon Jesus and they stepped across the threshold of eternity with a supernatural joy that could not be touched. One of my favorite quotes is from a book called Tortured for Christ by a man named Richard Wormbrand. He's a prisoner. And he said this, it was strictly forbidden to preach to other prisoners. It was understood that whoever was caught doing this received a severe beating. A number of us decided to pay the price for the privilege of preaching. So we accepted their terms. It was a deal. We preached, and they beat us. We were happy preaching. They were happy beating us. So everyone was happy. Man, that's a joy that can't be touched. Because he had his eyes stayed upon Jesus. Jesus is the greatest enemy that your despair will ever face. And he is a conqueror too. See, Jesus does not always rescue us from prison, from your prison, from the thing that causes you your deepest despair, but he will remind you of who he is and he will give you grace to endure. And as the messengers of John the Baptist leave, Jesus begins to speak about John. Now I want you to notice something, and I want us to all realize exactly what happened. Because to us, who just read about John, who know about him from pen and ink, we see him as this mighty man of God, this great prophet. Man, he was the desert wild man who ate bugs and honey. Man, he stood toe-to-toe -to -toe with the Pharisees. He preached, repent for the kingdom of God is near. After me comes he who is greater than I am not worthy to untie his sandal. That John, who says he must become greater and I must become less, just had a very public spiritual meltdown in front of a lot of people. Right? Because after the disciples leave, it says Jesus turned to the crowd. So there's crowds present. And in front of crowds, John the Baptist, this spiritual giant, this national revival evangelist, just had a public crisis of faith in which he questioned the Jesus that he had once committed to make much of. And at this point, Jesus turns to the crowd and he does something that is just, I can't describe it with another word other than kind for John the Baptist. 
he takes time to make sure everyone in the crowd knows exactly what he thinks of John. Who, by the way, Jesus was the one that just got questioned, that got doubted, that almost kind of had his arm twisted by John the Baptist as he's in prison. And he says this, did you go out into the wilderness and see a reed shaken by the wind? What was he blowing with every wind of culture and bowing down to what everybody expect? No. Was he a man in soft clothing? No. He wore camel's hair and lived in the wilderness. Who did you go see then? A prophet. Yes, but even greater than a prophet. He's the forerunner to the Messiah, and I tell you that he is the greatest man to ever have been born of woman. That is some high praise. Wow. See, John had a very public crisis of faith, and, and when, what I've found is that when spiritual leaders fail publicly, falter publicly, question publicly, doubt publicly, they always have more critics than they do companions. It would have been very easy for that crowd to, to begin to turn on John the Baptist and, and begin to think much less of him because they just saw their spiritual leader, let's call him their pastor, the person that had brought them to the desert and baptized them with the baptism of repentance, their spiritual father just had a spiritual meltdown. And our, what I found is that our opinions of people waver depending on what they do or what they produce or how strong they appear to be, including our opinions of ourselves. We are very critical of ourselves. And in John's greatest moment of weakness, of despair, his darkest hour of faith, Jesus still says he was the greatest man to ever live. I wonder if that's what John thought of himself in that moment. I wonder if that's what the crowds thought of John in that moment. But I'll tell you this, it is what Jesus thought of John in that moment. In his despair, in his doubt, in his questioning, Jesus' opinion of John never changed. See, the rest of us judge others according to their lows. That's our barometer. We judge people according to their lows. Like, like everything they are is boiled down to their deepest and darkest moment in their lives. Like, like that is the sum total of who they are. We even judge ourselves according to our darkest moments. Like they are the sum total of who you are. But I would suggest to you this morning that Jesus is far kinder to us than we are to one another. And he is far kinder to us than we are to ourselves. Jesus never lowers his opinion of John. He's the greatest to ever have been born. And in your, in your despair, Jesus views you no different. That's point number three. In your despair, Jesus views you no different. He didn't view John differently because of his public spiritual breakdown and church, let me tell you that in your dark moments, when you doubt, when you falter, when you fail, Jesus does not lower his opinion of you. Because I want you to see what he says after he talks about John. He says, 
among those born of women, none is greater than John, and yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Jesus esteemed the man, John the Baptist, so highly, and yet if you are the least in the kingdom of heaven, you are greater than him. Whoa. Like that, that should take you back a little bit. Jesus has a very high opinion of you. John is the greatest born of woman, but the one who is born of spirit is even greater than him. Wow. You know, one of my favorite verses that touches on what God thinks about you and I, found in Zephaniah chapter 3, where the prophet says that God saves us, that he delights over us, and that he even sings over us. So why would he stop in your dark night of the soul, in, in the most despair-filled moment of your life? No, when you are struggling to see the light, wondering if God has forgotten you, man, he still sings over you and he delights in you. In church, you may remain in your prison of suffering of despair for a short time, a long time, or even a lifetime. But Jesus still is who he says he is. And you are still who Jesus says you are. And listen to me, look at me. He has not you hear my voice in the silence his answer is yes and i delight over you church in your darkest hour jesus sees you it's our big idea today in your darkest hour jesus sees you let's pray Father, we thank you that even though we have our doubts and our questions and despair bound up in our hearts, that you still hear us, that you still see us, and that you delight in us and you sing over us. Lord, I thank you that even though you don't always meet our expectations, you are still who you say you are, that our circumstances do not dictate who you are. And although that sometimes they color our views and our questions, Lord, you are still good and kind. And you do, in fact, work all things out for the good of those who love you and for the glory of your name. Lord, help us believe that today. We thank you, we praise you, and it's in Jesus' beautiful name that we pray, amen. What a powerful message that is, the message of Jesus through the life of John the Baptist. And as we ponder 
this sermon, we encourage you on the back of these connection cards are these next steps to take this sermon and take it from being spoken here by Pastor Jesse, but living it in our hearts and our day-to-day lives throughout the rest of the week. And the first step that we have on this is to memorize John 3.30. That is our anchor verse. The verse to keep us grounded in this idea that Christ must become greater, that we become less. The easiest way to memorize it is to keep it with you. And that's why we have this perforation so you can just take that card and stick it in your pocket. And then throughout the week, as you stick your hand in your pocket, you feel this card, you're like, oh, what's that? Pull it out. There's the verse. Real easy to memorize. And a great way to take the word of God and write it on your own heart. Uh, The second step that we have is to read Philippians 4. We have this on there because Philippians was written while Paul was in jail. The same as John the Baptist. And yet Paul expressed that joy, the same joy that Jesse mentioned that one author had in his book. The joy that goes beyond human understanding. So we encourage you to read Philippians 4 to take that joy and build it upon yourself and in your own heart. Third next step. Trust that Jesus is who he says he is. Trust that he is the Messiah, the one who has come to save, to rescue, to grow you from your sin into a place of holiness. And that leads us into the fourth step, to trust who Jesus says you are. Because he didn't just come to cleanse your sin, he came to change you from the heart, from the inside out, to become more like him, to reflect his glory, to change this world. So we encourage you to take these steps, to mark these on your connection card, pass them in so that we can pray for you over these things as you go to live this out throughout this week. We encourage you to do this so that you can have that same joy in your heart, so that you have that same encouragement that Christ gave to John the Baptist. Let us now pray together as we close this service. Heavenly Father, you are an amazing God to us. You are an amazing Father to us. It is such a comfort to know that even in the midst of the darkest places that we have been or will ever be, that you still see us, that you still love us, that you still want us to live in our hearts, to live in our minds, and to live in our actions. We ask that you bless us for this purpose so that no matter what we face, we will still be able to turn to you with joy so that all people will see that joy in us and be drawn to you. We pray this in the most holy, the most powerful, and the most beautiful.